this past Sunday. We get to serve Him, and we get to live for Him. You know, don't you wish that you, um, don't you wish your faith was stronger? I wish mine were. Sometimes people, I think they, they see pastors and they think, well, yeah, but you guys are different. You're almost kind of like we're different because you just have this great faith and, and every day you just can't wait to get out of bed and read the Bible and pray and, and, and serve others. And I hate to disappoint you, but it really is not like that. The reality is that I struggle just like you do. And reality is that my faith is oftentimes pretty anemic. But the good news is, as we look to Scripture, we find that those of us who struggle with weak faith are in pretty good company. Look, if you would, at Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to read just a few verses, and uh, we're going to talk to you a little bit about our faith and doubt and how all that plays into what we're trying to do for the Lord. Thank you for being here uh, tonight, and I know that it's Friday night, and uh, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and somehow you found your way to church, and you're to be commended, and I am so honored to get to be here with you, my wife and I. Look at verse 16, Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Notice this next phrase, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, as people of God, as believers, we are expected. God expects us. He has commanded us to have faith. We throw around terms like, or phrases like, you just got to trust God. And that sounds so easy. But man, sometimes it's tough. And sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we really, really struggle to have the faith that we need to take the step that God is expecting us to take. I read a story, there was an intense murder trial and a ton of evidence, but there was one problem, there was no corpse. And so the attorney for the defense was one of the best. He resorted to a rather far-fetched tactic. He stood in front of the jury and he said, within one minute, the person presumed dead is going to walk through those doors and into this courtroom. Immediately, they say. The jurors turned their heads to the back door and stared for 60 endless seconds. Finally, the Lawyer admitted, actually, I made up the last statement, but you all look with great anticipation. Therefore, I submit you have some reasonable doubt as to whether or not a murder actually occurred, and you must return a verdict of not guilty. The jury was pretty confused. They retired to the chambers to deliberate, and in a matter of minutes, they returned with their verdict. Your Honor, we find the defendant guilty. The lawyer was stunned. He said, you must have had some doubt. I saw every one of you stare at the door. To which the foreman replied, oh yeah, we looked, but your client never did. Because he knew. 
He knew no one was coming through that door. And this evening, can we just be really honest and admit that sometimes we, we struggle with doubt? I, I want to jump right into it. Let, let's think about this, first of all. Let's think about the doubters of the past. The doubters of the past. Really, I have found that if I am struggling with my faith, if, I, if, if doubt is a part of my life, I have found that, that I am in pretty good company. You see, we, we label someone with doubt as almost, almost as if they have the plague of some kind. And we say, man, you just got to believe. Man, where's your faith? But, but as you go through Scripture, and we'll not take a lot of time with this, you'll find, you'll find Moses doubted. And he was a pretty good Christian, I would say, tonight. We talk about Moses, and we tend to talk about a man whom we may call the greatest leader in history. He stood before Pharaoh, and he bartered for the release of the Jews, and he said, let my people go. And he led a million Jews from Egypt to the Promised Land and was even mentioned in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith. But, but if we go to the backside of the desert, and he's been back there 40 years watching his father-in-law's sheep, and this bush begins to burn, and, and God says to Moses, he says, I want to use you, Moses. And Moses doubted. And Moses began to make excuse. He said things like, well, who am I? And what if they ask me hard questions? And, and what, is, what is his name? And what if they don't believe me? And what if, what if they say, you really have not appeared to me? And the truth is, I don't talk very well. But you know what? If you read the rest of the story, you find that God did use Moses in spite of his doubt. What about Gideon? Gideon doubted. I love that passage in Judges chapter 6 where Gideon said unto him, the, the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon. And what does he call him? He says, you are a mighty man of valor. And what's Gideon's response? Oh, my Lord. Right? He struggled greatly, but he took 300 soldiers and turned back that mighty Midianite army. What about Abraham? Or, or should I say Father Abraham, the, the man that God's people have looked to for ages, and God promised him a son and took him out one night and showed him the stars and had him pick, pick up a handful of sand. And, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. But in Genesis 17, 17, Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? You see, we all doubt. Now, some may have stronger faith than others, but in reality, we all doubt. We, we are living in uncertain days. Pastor alluded to it, and man, it's... It's challenging. It's difficult. It's kind of scary, to be honest with you. And, and, and what about this virus? And what about this pandemic? And what about the election? And what about the economy? And, and what about the future? And, and, and are all the people going to come back who've been out of church for these last seven and a half months? And how do we navigate all this? Are we doing the right thing? Do we open or not open? How, much proto how many protocols do we put in place? And, and, it, and it's a struggle. But not only do we think about tonight the doubters of the past, but let's think about, let's think about the dilemma that is present. Because here we have 
the eleven. Judas betrayed Christ and had since hung himself. Jesus has been crucified, buried, and risen again. These, these guys, their minds are filled with questions. They're scared to death. Their hearts are filled with fear, and their lives are filled with doubt. And on top of all that, listen to this. Jesus is getting ready to say to this ragtag bunch of doubters, I, I want you to go into all the world. And I want you to preach the gospel to every creature. As if things were not challenging enough, right? As if things were not difficult enough, now you're going to put upon our shoulders the responsibility to evangelize the world. You know, we struggle. I'm just going to be really transparent with you. I don't feel very adequate very often. I come out at our church and I stand behind this, a pulpit like this, and I try to give people the impression that I have this great faith. But I'm a human being. And in my heart of hearts, there are many times when I close the door to my office and I say, Lord, what do we do? Growing up or raising a family, my wife and I have five children and and there are many, many times when we went through things as a family even, and, and as a leader, you try to give this persona, you know, that, hey, we're going to be okay. And, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, are we really going to be okay? Is this really going to work? What about missions? What about trying to reach the world with the gospel? What about faith promise? What about, what about a church in Sherwood, Oregon, having a worldwide impact. Is that really possible? Does it really matter that I, that I write that check or I make that uh, a payment o- online and, and I, I give my money to missions? Does that really matter? Are we really accomplishing anything? These videos, okay, hey, they were good. They moved us. But is this really worth it? Listen to me. We face this dilemma. Don't don't lose me. We're headed somewhere. We face this dilemma. Go back to these 11 guys. They've given up everything, walked away from jobs and families and given their lives to follow Christ. They, They watched him from afar off hang his head on the cross. They they've gathered together, scared to death, that the same Jews who crucified Christ would crucify them. And they look around that group. And they know each other. I remember Brother Mason when I was in college. And I, um, you know, you live in dorms. Brother Eric, you know this. You you live in dorms and and, uh, you really get to know guys that you live with, right? And uh, here comes a guy, uh, some pastor in chapel. And here's what he's saying. He gets up and he says, I'm so honored to be here. Young, Young people, you are the hope of America. And I'm thinking about the four guys I live with. Right? And I'm thinking, that dude can't even get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> he leaves his dirty underwear lying all over the room. If he's the hope of America, we ain't got no hope. These guys are thinking. They're looking around and they're, they're, they're really understanding that 
Peter has cursed and sworn and Thomas, he doesn't believe anything. And they know that John is, is extremely timid and maybe even a little bit soft. And, and, and they know that Peter, James, and John can't even get along with each other without arguing. And who in the world is Bartholomew? And we are going to evangelize the world? They have their hands full. But can I ask you a question tonight as we think about it? What choice did they really have? I mean, really, what choice did they have? Can I ask you a question tonight? What choice do we really have? You say, well, Brother Rick, what do you mean? Do we, do we put our faith in, in, in God or do we depend upon ourselves? What choice do we really have? Do we, do we believe that there is a God out there who is able to do exceeding abundant above all that we could ever ask or think? Or do we just hope that things are going to work out? No, the reality is tonight that we need to be a people who looks to God with great faith and, and believing that, God, you could use us and, God, you can empower me and, God, you can give me victory over that besetting temptation in my life and, and God, you can, you can bless a church here in this part of the country. He's a great God. We're just... We're just a weak people. You may have heard about a little boy. He was battling cancer, and he wasn't doing well. He wouldn't eat, wouldn't get out of bed, slept all the time. The school sent a tutor to help him keep up with his schoolwork, and there was an amazing turnaround. This kid, all of a sudden, it was like he had a new lease on life. Someone came and asked him, he said, Joey, what happened just a few days ago? It was like you didn't even want to live anymore, and now you, you're a different kid. And Joey's reply was, they wouldn't waste their time teaching math to a kid that's going to die, would they? And could we not look around tonight and see all that God has done for us? And can I ask you a question? Would God do so much for a people that he did not intend to use? There's doubters, sure. We struggle, of course. There is a dilemma. But I want you to notice their determination to progress. What, what was to happen with these 11 men? What, what are they going to do? Are they going to surrender to their doubt and go back to their old lives or head back to the shore and find another boat and some nets or go down to the unemployment office and fill out some paperwork? What are they going to do? John 21, 25 says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books of that should be written. See, the four Gospels tell us all about Jesus. We're getting to the real point of the message. The four Gospels tell us all about Jesus. In Matthew, we understand that Jesus is king. And in Mark, he is the suffering servant. And in Luke, he is the son of man. And in John, Jesus is the Son of God. In the Gospels, we read about His virgin birth, His sinless life, His miraculous works, His vicarious death, His bodily resurrection. The first four books of the New Testament tell us all about Jesus, but then we come to book number five. And what is, the, what, what is that book? It is the book of Acts. What does it mean to act? Can I tell you what it means? It means to take action. It means to do something. If you look at your 
Bible, it'll probably say there somewhere in the heading for the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. What is is that all about? It's what they are going to do because of who Jesus is. It's how their lives are going to be different because they know the suffering servant. Because they have spent time with the Son of Man. Because they understand He is the Son of God. You see, tonight we have got to let what we have seen and heard and what we have read in this book impact our lives. And it must provoke us to action. And that's what faith promise really is all about. It is us recognizing Jesus for who He is and understanding that the whole world needs to know Him. In Acts chapter 1, verse 10, the Bible said, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven, this same Jesus which was taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Maybe today what we need are some believers who will not just stand around and doubt and question and second guess and wonder, but some believers who'll start acting out their Christianity. Who'll start doing something with what God has given all of us. You say, well, Brother Finley, I know some folks who failed and I know a preacher who went into sin, and I know some Christians who are just plain hypocrites, and and I know some missionaries who went around and raised a bunch of money and never even got to the field. I do too. I do too. But I'm here to tell you that this here has worked in my life. I'm here to tell you tonight that He is real. I'm here to tell you tonight that His work is real I'm here to tell you tonight that there is something about this book that is so powerful that when it is, when this book is sown into the hearts and lives of men, it brings forth fruit that could never be manufactured by mankind. I'm here to tell you that when you exercise your faith, you say, well, man, Brother Rick, I don't don't really... I don't really have much faith. You don't need much faith. You remember what he said in Hebrews? Here's the the paraphrase. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, right? Did you ever think about this? You ever think about it in that verse? He didn't quantify faith. He didn't say without a bushel of faith, it's impossible to please God. He didn't say without a gallon of faith, you'll never please God. Without faith, like Pastor Mason's, you'll never please God. What he said was, if you have enough faith just to act, it will please God. I read a story, and Brother Mason may have used this illustration, I don't know, but I know he's read the book. Missionary Nick Ripken. Nick Ripken is a fictitious name. He had to use a fictitious name. The book is entitled "The Insanity of God." Any of you read it? It's it's an amazing it's an amazing book. Nick Ripken went to Somalia, and he wanted to take the gospel to Somalia. He 
he, he majored on humanitarian efforts, food and clothing and medicine. And after some time of ministering in Somalia, he looked back and he said, you know, as far as really getting the gospel to people, I'm afraid we failed. And he said, on top of that, I don't even know that, that a believer could survive in a country like this. I mean, a country that is so anti-God. He and his family finally had to leave and somewhat depressed, he decided to visit places in the world that were not friendly to Christianity and try to find people who had put their faith in the Christ of the Bible and had actually been able to live for him. His journeys took him to Eastern Europe where he visited a small remote village and there he met a a 60-year-old man named Stoyan whose father was in prison when Stoyan was just 12 years of age. Ripken in the story said that Stoyan's father was held in a secret place in their city. He was, he was arrested because he was preaching the gospel and he was held there in a secret place where the guard would, when he brought Stoyan his toast for breakfast every morning, he would spread human waste on his toast before he brought it to him. He said, after some time we were given the opportunity They had moved my dad an hour away, and we were given the opportunity to visit him. They said, you can spend one hour with him. He said, we went to this well-known torture facility where they were ushered out onto a football place the size of a football field, and they waited for a long while, but his father never appeared. And finally, when their time was almost up, an emaciated shell of a man walked up to the table where they were standing. And he said, I looked behind those rags that were wrapped around him, and I saw my father's eyes. And He said, I took my father's face in my hands and whispered in his ear, Papa, I'm so proud of you. He said, I vividly remember Mom wanted to bring something to my father, and she knew that nothing would mean more to him than the Word of God. He said, my mom brought a little New Testament and tried to give it to my father. And when the guards saw it, they slapped it out of her hand and began to curse her. And, and, and they, they said to her, do you not understand that I can kill you and I can kill your husband and I can kill your son? And if I did, I would be applauded for it. And Stoyan said, I watched as my mom looked into the eyes of that guard and said, sir, you're right, you can kill us all, but nothing will separate me from the love of He said, I said goodbye to my father. We were exiled to a remote gypsy village in a distant corner of the country. And late one night, the police knocked on our door and gave us one hour to pack. He said, we boarded a late night train and my siblings and I were so afraid and we began to cry. We began to ask my mom, mom, when we get out, when dad gets out of prison, how will he know where to find us? And And she said, Dad will find us. She said, let's just sing hymns. And so this godly mother began to sing hymns with her children on this train ride through the middle of the night. He said, we arrived at the station and a man I'd never seen before approached and asked 
if we were the imprisoned pastor's family. My mom said, yes, we are. And he said, well, last night our church held a meeting and he held up a bag with money and he said, this money is for you and there'll be more when, when you need it. Stoyan was kicked out of the local university. They found his, they took, pulled his records and stamped on it, the enemy of the republic. His father was nearing the end of his imprisonment and they took his dad out one day and tied him to a pole and and they said, we're going to give you one last opportunity to deny your faith. He straightened his back and looked his accusers in the eye and he said, I will not deny Christ. They were so frustrated. They couldn't break this guy and they were so frustrated that rather than escorting him to his cell, they led him to the prison gate and set him free. He was shocked. Sometime later, he found his family, went back to church and began to preach again. About a month into his new ministry, an elderly lady in the church approached him and asked if he would come and visit her dying son. He got together some medication and he went to her apartment, back into the back bedroom and Stoyan's father looked into the face of the blind, invalid, middle-aged man and realized that it was that same prison guard who brought him breakfast every day. He said, under my breath, I prayed, oh God, don't let me fail you now. That's faith. You know what? You know what my heart is tonight? That same prayer, dear God, please don't let me fail you. I'm trying to do the right thing and live for you and pastor a church in the middle of a pandemic and man, it's crazy. God, don't let me fail you now. I'm trying to be the husband that my wife needs and the father that my children need and the papa that my Eight grandkids need, oh, dear God, don't let me fail you now. They worshiped, but the Bible said some doubted. And I want to ask you a question tonight. We're done. Are you one of the some? You say, well, Brother Rick, you, if I was honest, I'd have to tell you, I, I struggle. Do you have enough faith simply? To obey. That's, that's all he asked. That's all he asked. Father, a little bit different kind of a message tonight. We didn't look into a lot of scripture. But oh my soul, one passage of scripture can convict us, can empower us, can change us. Lord, here in this passage, we read about these apostles, and here we are in 2020, and we know what they did. We know exactly what they did. Weak, frail, fearful. They did really dumb things sometimes. But we are here in church on a Friday night in the middle of October because those 11 guys took what little bit of faith they had And they did something with it. And I pray that tonight you would help us. Oh, dear God, don't let us fail you now. 
in the midst of the pandemonium. You're looking for people who will trust you, people who will live for you. In the midst of the darkness of our society, you're looking for salt and light. Oh, God, help us not to fail you now. Thank you for these dear people, for their attention. And thank you for the heart that they have to honor you. Bless them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to keep your heads bowed there for a moment, if you would, and your eyes closed. And just real quickly, as we think about that, you know, I, I know I would be honest in saying in, in the last 200-plus days, I've sure had a whole lot of questions, and I have wondered and thought, and my faith has probably been more challenged than maybe any time in my life. But I, I, I would say that it would, my heart's prayer would be what he just said, and that is, Lord, don't let me fail you now. And I think each and every one of us, that ought to be something that we ought to really just grab a hold of and say, Lord, don't let me fail you now. Whatever my responsibility is, whatever my life's mission is, whatever my work, my family, my children, my siblings, my parents, whatever, Lord, don't let me fail you now. Let me ask with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, how many of you would say the Lord spoke to you tonight? Would you lift your hand up just real quickly, real quickly? You can put it back down. God bless you. Many, many hands. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit spoke to you about, I would encourage you to make a move on that there in your heart. We're not going to have a regular type invitation, but there where you're at, just say, Lord, you're dealing with me about something. Maybe it is surrendering something. Maybe it is my service to you. Maybe there's someone here and it's salvation. Boy, it's one thing in life about which you cannot be mistaken. And maybe there's some of us who... You know, as the songwriter says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I, I don't want to fail the Lord now. Whatever it is, I pray that you do business right there with the Lord. Lord, we do want to thank you again for the opportunity to once more be back in your house. And how good that is. Lord, I'm grateful for all of these that have made the effort to come on a Friday night bring their families, their children, and Lord, we pray for them. We pray for those who are unable to come right now, maybe watching at home, wherever they may be. I pray you'd bless and favor all of them. Lord, give us a, a good weekend, and Lord, a great Sunday morning as we return. But Lord, help us to be different because of what we've heard. Help us to not rest on our laurels. Help us to not sit, but Lord, help us to be willing to say, Lord, don't, we don't want to fail you now in regards to our time and our talents and our treasures. Lord, may they be used for you. Help us, dear God, we pray and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you